Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. UConn's domination of the renewed series against Tennessee continues. On Sunday, the Huskies comfortably took down the Vols at the XL Center, 75-56. to They put it away very quickly in the second half. Tennessee very quickly quit when UConn went on those runs. And even though it got a little close down the stretch and even that is pushing it it was a 13 point game at the closest point down the stretch when UConn wasn't playing all that well never really felt like Tennessee was making the comeback before we dive fully into that game if you missed last week's episode we announced that Chasing Perfection is finally moving to its own feed so some of you may be listening to this episode on the new feed for the first time we're also posting this on the UConn blogs feed just in case you missed out So if you haven't, we have a link in the description down to the new feed. Be sure to subscribe there. It will just be Chasing Perfection. There will be no other podcast. There won't be the Yukon pod that we do. There won't be any random hockey episodes or anything like that. It'll just be Chasing Perfection, finally. So Tennessee, coming into the game, I think it was fair that nobody really knew how it was going to go. I think my feeling was that it was either going to be a blowout in one direction. It could be a close game. It could come down to the wire. It could be one of those 10 point games where one side kind of controls it the whole way, but it's never really that close. But then all of a sudden Caroline Ducharme wasn't warming up with the team during warmups despite Gino Oriema saying one day earlier that everyone was going to be available. UConn announces 45 minutes before tip-off that Ducharme was unavailable. After the game, Gino said that it's a head issue, but it is not a concussion, and he expects that some time off is going to do a really good. Doesn't seem to be concerned about it long-term. We don't know what that means about her status for Villanova on Wednesday. I don't know about you, but... I was pretty much preparing for Oregon part two, where UConn loses a player just before tip-off, at least we're told just before tip-off, that one of their key players is going to go out. And then they tip off and just get run off the floor. I honestly thought that's the way the game was going to go once Carolyn went down. Yeah, I didn't think they were going to get run off the floor, but I didn't think they were going to win the game once they didn't have Caroline. I thought it would still be close, but they just weren't going to have enough people to score the ball to finish it. I just think that Tennessee even, I mean, they didn't score the ball well at all in this game, but in general didn't have the firepower to just run UConn off the floor even without D-Charm. It seemed like it was going to have to be one of those games where someone stepped up big time. And that was going to be the only way that it happened, whether it was Avino, whether it was even Kristen, I feel like wasn't really one of the considerations, maybe one of the bigs, someone needed to come up big, have a big night 
and really fill the void left by Ducharme. And that's where AZ FUD comes in. Eighth college career game, really the only the fourth if you remove those early in the season when she was essentially playing hurt. The entire availability on Saturday, the day before the game, was essentially about how do you get AZ FUD going? How do you get her to play more aggressive? How do you get her to play less timid, to defer less? And then 12 seconds into the game, she hits her first shot, the first shot of the game, and that sparked a 25-point performance that led to, I wasn't around for the whole Tennessee rivalry, but at least in the new part of the rivalry under Kelly Harper, probably the best quote that's been said by either coach of the game plan was not to leave AZ FUD open. That was not the game plan. That game plan failed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this entirely failed. But FUD went seven from nine for three, and she had some good lucks too. I mean, in Tennessee's defense, like once you let her catch the ball on the perimeter, it's pretty much game over, but still like they just did not do a good job guarding her outside and she obviously made them pay for it yeah i think what was most alarming is not the right word from a yukon perspective but it is for if you're anyone else in the country but the thing that stood out the most was that most of her points again came from the three-point line she had four points inside the arc almost everything besides that seven shots were from the three-point line which means there is a whole nother element to her game that we've barely seen. And to be fair, I didn't think she only shot three pointers. I thought she had a much more well-rounded game and a lot of the shots inside the arc didn't necessarily fall. And she passed the ball really well. I don't know what she finished with for assists, but I think she was much better passing than whatever that number may suggest because she helped keep the ball moving. She kept every helped keep everything flowing, which as we know with this offense, it can often get stagnant. She was really, really good overall, but most of her contributions came from the three-point line. So if they figure out how to get all of AZ FUD and not just AZ FUD, the three-point shooter, this is suddenly why she's being touted as this generational prospect. Because if she can do that on just one night as a freshman in what's essentially her fourth career game, (laughs) what's she going to do in two weeks, two months? Well, two months, it'll be May, two years, anything like that. This is finally the preview of AZ FUD that we've been waiting for, where it's not just, oh, wow, AZ started to look good, had some good moments like she did against DePaul. She was the go-to player for UConn, the leading scorer, the number one option, and she was only a freshman. Exactly. And I think, like you said, she really only hit shots from beyond the arc, but I thought she still got good looks inside. They didn't necessarily fall, but I think probably with a couple more games, that'll start to to happen as well. But I think it was good to see that she got good looks. And I mean, I feel like UConn got a lot of good looks in, yesterday in that game where they just didn't fall down. So in general, I think that's more of a positive sign because I think a lot of times we see them by no fault of the other team's defense does not get good looks. So at least they were able to do that. There's this really interesting trend also now emerging from this new Tennessee series in that it seems to be a freshman that kills Tennessee one way or another every single time. If you think back to the 2020 game, 
Aubrey Griffin created so much havoc when she was on the floor that even when she wasn't out there, Tennessee just started throwing the ball into the stands with no pressure on them. She got so far into their head, rattled them so badly that their offense completely ceased to function in any way, shape or form. And they finished with 45 points. Then last year, obviously in a different way, Paige Beckers hits that game tying or not game tying, game clinching three pointer as the shot clock expires in the final minute, having just re entered the game after twisting her ankle. And then this year, AZ FUD, 25 points, billing in for Caroline Ducharme, another freshman. I mean, I don't know who it's going to be, but Tennessee's probably going to want to allocate all of their resources next year into stopping Ice Brady and Ayanna Patterson, because if the trend continues, one of those two is going to kill them somehow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, definitely interesting that it's a freshman, especially in like a game like yesterday when you lose your best player. Well, your freshman that has been your best player since Paige Beckers went down and have it just be another freshman that steps up big instead of any one of the many like upperclassmen leaders that are could have been candidates to do that. Kind of insane. Yeah, also kind of fitting for the season though. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty because- much. How it's going. <laughs> I mean, Paige Beckers goes down. Who steps up? It's Caroline Ducharme, a freshman. Then, like you said, AZ Fudd steps up in her place. Look, maybe if UConn suddenly gets short on bigs, it's finally going to be Amari DeBerry's time to shine. <laughs> it seems like these freshmen just need the opportunity and they start figuring things out. I don't want to look too far ahead because there's so much speculation that could happen. And so much that could, there's so much that could happen to even get to this point. But just imagine the way AZ FUD played yesterday and then having Caroline Ducharme, the way she had been playing out there, and then a full strength Paige Beckers all on the floor together. And those aren't even your only guards. Then you still have Kristen Williams and Avina Westbrook and Nika Mule. And oh, by the way, you still have the entire front court. That is why at the beginning of the season, we talked so much about this team's depth and this team's potential. Obviously, there have been a lot of reasons it hasn't reached that yet, but we're starting to see it. So obviously, they need to get Caroline back, which seems like it'll be a more when than if sort of thing. Paige seems to be trending in the right direction. She's not going to be back against Villanova. She just met with her doctors on Sunday, and it seems like It could still be a couple of weeks, so maybe March might be a better timeline or a better target for when to expect her back. I'm still not totally positive, but that is just a scary, scary, scary thought. And it's why I think that this team probably has the highest potential in the country. Right now, they're not a better team than South Carolina, but they could be. Whether or not they get there is a different story, and whether or not they have enough time to get there remains to be seen. But the seal, I don't think there's no ceiling for this team. There's simply no ceiling for this team. Yeah, I entirely agree. I think we're slowly seeing, seeing, seeing things come together here. And then you have to keep remembering that they're adding back those, I mean, page backers. And they just won this game without Caroline Duchard. And as much as we're going to discuss how Tennessee maybe isn't as good as they were ranked, I still think it is impressive for UConn to come out and win this game by nearly 20 points without Caroline Duchard or page backers. What would it be if those two were out there? Would that have been a 50-point win? Would UConn have run Tennessee out of the XL Center? I mean, 
I don't know if Tennessee ran out of the XL center, but they definitely got a light sweat going trying <laughs> to get out of there. It would have been, it very easily could have been a bloodbath, especially if UConn played a little bit of better defense because basically the only way Tennessee scored was Jordan Horston did something. And oftentimes that was Jordan Horston got fouled and went to the line. 10 of their 25 points in the first half were on the free throw line. A lot of their points in the game were from the free throw line and 25 of their 56 points were from Horston herself. So in theory, if these two teams meet again and UConn's defense is better, it could be even uglier for Tennessee. Yeah, exactly. I think had UConn, I'm really curious what the score would have looked like yesterday. Had UConn not fouled so much, like that was a big part of their offense. 19 of their 56 points were from the three for the line. That's a, that's a lot of points when you only score 56. So, uh, I mean, they really, other than Horston, they really could not get anything going from the floor whatsoever. Not even a little bit. And the sequence to start the second half where UConn comes out and blitzes them seven, nothing Tennessee takes a timeout. Then UConn comes back immediately with another seven, nothing run that involved Nika Mule hitting a three and then immediately getting a steal and score, forcing Tennessee into another timeout and Nika Mule going nuts afterwards. Megan and I were sitting next to each other at the game. I leaned over and said, that's ball game right there. <laughs> and I don't know how much I actually truly believe that in my heart of hearts, but that's how it ended up going because <laughs> yeah, Tennessee made a little bit of noise at the end of the third quarter, start of the fourth quarter, but even though it, it was closer than it felt when it got to 13 points. No, other way around. It wasn't as close as it felt when it got to 13 points. That's still a very large deficit to overcome, especially for a team that really couldn't do all that much offensively. The only reason it got to that point was because UConn's offense slowed down. So it was just such a fast and furious way to come out and totally put them away because coming out of that second timeout, you could tell that Tennessee was done. You, their body language was horrible. They looked demoralized. And then some of them honestly looked like they quit in that third quarter. Turned it on a little bit, but really, really just, it was done by that point. So I don't know how much of that is a credit to UConn and just the way they played and how much is Tennessee kind of deciding to fold, pack it up and not really put in a full effort over the last I guess, 15 minutes. I, I think UConn still deserves a lot of credit, but I think some blame goes to Tennessee too. Yeah, I've been struggling with this a lot today and trying to figure out how much I actually think you can take from this game. But yeah, I think it's two parts. I think UConn does deserve a lot of credit, especially for what they did without Ducharme, without um, Paige Beckers. I think that is a big piece of it and they deserve a lot of credit, especially on the defensive end, because as much as like the fouling wasn't good and they let Horston score too much. I thought it was a really solid defensive effort. That wasn't the only thing that made Tennessee's offense look bad. Like, I think they just looked bad in offense in some ways, too. But UConn's defense definitely played a role in that. And then on the other end, offensively, like, I don't think Tennessee brought their defense that everyone is talking about to this game. Like, I was not impressed with their defense whatsoever in the game. But UConn didn't do a lot of the things that they typically do where they shoot themselves in the foot or they don't move the ball or kind of have all these self-inflicted self-inflicted errors. There was a lot less of that 
too. And I think overall, that's a really good sign for UConn, the way the ball was moving all game long for the most part, the way they were able to knock down open shots, which doesn't always happen. Things like that, I think are good signs for UConn. But I also don't think the 75 points is like some miraculous offensive performance against the best defense in the country. Right. Well, I also think it just kind of goes to show what UConn's I don't know if floor is the right word because obviously their floor is very, very low on offense, but just what their basic standard should be when they're not necessarily lighting the world on fire, but they're just kind of doing the basic things. Like you said, not shooting themselves in the foot. If they're just not hurting themselves, they're a really good offense. And then if you can do that and play really well, then you might be looking at, a really, really good offense, or maybe a great offense, or who knows, maybe even an elite offense. And if you can pair that with your defense that I still feel is firmly good, but not at an elite level where it can single-handedly win you games, it's not going to lose you games, but your offense still needs to show up in order to get a win. It doesn't need to fully show up, but it needs to at least knock on the door. I think this Tennessee win was a very, very good blueprint of how UConn can do that going forward because they're still in building mode. Honestly, they only just got everyone back. This was only, this was, they've only had one game since Paige Beckers got hurt. No, not even since Paige Beckers got hurt since the battle for Atlantis that they've had everyone except Paige Beckers. That was the DePaul game. They didn't have Ducharme last night. They're still growing. They're still figuring things out. It should only be getting better as they start to integrate everyone back and everyone starts to be healthy and everyone starts to be able to play a full 40 minutes if asked to, because I don't know if Dorka could have yesterday with her coming back off the foot injury or she was probably the only one that's still a concern or how many minutes can Caroline Ducharme play on Wednesday or Friday, whenever she returns, there's still such a process So the fact that we're seeing this now, yeah, it's February and you got to start figuring things out soon, but I think we are starting to see things click with this team and it should only be getting better. Even if you take Paige Becker's potential return out of the equation. Exactly. I I agree. I think we're seeing what this team could be even without Paige Becker's and it's definitely come a long way from where they were when she went down. I think we also have to talk about Olya Edwards because she Finally, I think had a great game for UConn. Not something we've seen all season, but with five or six from the floor, scored 14 points, seven rebounds. She was just very physical inside, very physical with Tamari Key, protected the rim while she had two blocks too, was just out for every single rebound while she was on the floor. And I think that was a big difference maker going into this game. You knew Tennessee was going to be good on the boards, but UConn had the advantage there. And Ole Edwards was a huge part of that. I think Gino put it best when someone asked him about Aliyah and he referenced the stat sheet, but then he went, I don't really care about that though. Aliyah just looked good out there and she looked like the player that she was last year. And I think that really sums it up the best because I don't think she hit double digit points or her rebound numbers weren't really off the charts, but just watching her play, there was such a clear difference and you could just see the impact that she was making out there. It was so, so, so clear. And that's what we've been waiting for. There have been flashes here and there, bits and pieces. There's been some light shining through the cracks, but for the most part, they're just, it, she hasn't been passing the eye test. Even on some of her better performances, she didn't fully pass the eye test. 
she passed it with flying colors yesterday. That was the Aaliyah Edwards that UConn needs. And that's the Aaliyah Edwards that we saw a lot last year, especially in the NCAA tournament. There's just a different level that this UConn team hits when Aaliyah is playing like that. Because as we talked about ad nauseum last year, nobody besides maybe, I don't know, two, three, four teams in the country can handle Aaliyah Edwards at that level. Tennessee showed that they can absolutely not do that. They are not one of those teams. So if she can just continue to put in that kind of work rate and that type of effort, that is such a game changer for UConn in a way that nobody else can really accomplish because Dorka's really good when she is playing well, but she doesn't do that. Liv obviously is a much different skill set. When you have Aaliyah out there, it is just so, so much more difficult on the other team. Exactly. I, she played a great game. And if, she, if you can keep getting that from her, I think that's going to take them a long way. We spent a lot of time talking about how individual performances and what you see from them is a lot of what you can take from this team. And I think this is definitely one of them. If they get that from Edwards at starting every night, that's going to be a huge step forward as well in terms of their ability to dominate more in the post, be better on the glass, which I think is something this team has struggled with a little bit. But I mean, you took a team like Tennessee, that's one of the best rebounding teams in the country, and they held their own on the glass all the way through. I don't want to totally shut the book on Tennessee yet, but I think just looking forward at UConn's next three games this week, they feel like they're going to be really good tests about what UConn right now can rely on and what's still a work in progress, because I think coming into the Tennessee game, what you could say that UConn did well was that they defended well and Caroline Ducharme was pretty reliable every game. Beyond that, I don't know if there was anything you could definitively say that every single game you can typically expect this. I, I still don't know if there's anything that you can say after Tennessee just because it was a one-game sample, but Villanova is a good team that UConn should handle pretty comfortably. Maddie Segrist is one of the best players in the conference, but... UConn just seems to have her number. They multiple every game last year, they just were all over Seagrass and she couldn't do anything. DePaul, we'll talk more about that one later. That's a really interesting one. Still a better team than Villanova, a good test, another way to challenge yourself and determine what you can rely on and what you can't. Then Marquette, I think, falls into a very similar category as Villanova of a team that's going to give you a challenge, but you're still probably going to beat pretty easily. So right now, I think that list of what we know for sure about this UConn team is short, at least if things go well over this next week. By the time we record the next episode, I'm pretty confident that list is going to be longer and we're going to be able to really nail down what this UConn team's specific strengths are every single night instead of just, you know, they have so many pieces and so much talent that you can win games a lot of ways, we'll probably have a narrower idea after these three games. Yeah, I agree. I think now that you finally got, well, hopefully they get Caroline back for Wednesday. Now that you've kind of finally got everyone back on the floor, um, you've kind of, we'll get to see, you know, the same cast of characters. Well, hopefully, assuming nothing else happens, which seems unlikely the way things have come recently, but you'll see the same cast of characters for a few games in a row to kind of really see like what happens consistently. And I think, a lot of why we haven't been able to take that away so far is just like you are playing with a different lineup and a different set of people every night. 
Right. And we still don't even know what it's going to look like at Villanova. We don't know if Caroline Ducharme is going to be back. Who knows what might even happen between now and then. I'm not even going to say anyone's name because I don't want to put those bad vibes into the universe. But it seems like there's still everything, something different every single game. It's Caroline against Tennessee. It is no game against Butler. The Butler game gets canceled because the Bulldogs can't figure out how to fly a plane from Indianapolis to stores in the weather. Then before that at Creighton, it's Gino being out. Then Providence, Dorka's suddenly out. DePaul, there was a surprise in that AZ was back when that wasn't really expected. Then Oregon, Seton Hall, St. John's, all of that is kind of no Kristen, just something different every single game. And at the very least, the universe has made it varied. So it's not just like it's an injury every time. We got the nice little funky changeup with Gino deciding not to coach because he wasn't feeling well or the cancellation against the Butler game that we would have absolutely learned nothing about this team from or the exact opposite of Tennessee where we learned a ton about this team and a ton about AZ FUD when we didn't know all that much about her before. So it's just a very long way of saying that I am not counting anything out against Villanova. <laughs> exactly. I think we've learned not to count anything out with this team this season. It's, you never know what's going to happen. So I can't believe we've gotten this far without talking about this. I thought you were going to transition when you started saying we really need to talk about and then went into Aaliyah. I, I really almost let off with this because I think it is probably the number one reason that UConn won and it helped UConn claim the win before the ball even tipped. <laughs> those throwback uniforms were so fantastic so great and something we have been calling on the team to do for years or at least i have since this podcast has started we've been pining for throwback uniforms they picked probably the best uniforms in the history of the program i ranked all the uniforms i ranked a top 10 last summer or two summers ago i can't remember what i had exactly but those early 2000s, just think of Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi playing together. You can think of Shea Ralph immediately in my head. Svetlana Brasimova, those players, once UConn broke those out, it was game over. Yeah, they were amazing. And like you said, I mean, some of the best uniforms that the programs ever had. Also, like just the entire world is trying to bring back to early 2000s fashion right now. The UConn women's basketball jerseys are probably the only part of that I have any, any interest in. But yeah, they were just fantastic uniforms. It was so much fun. Also, I love the promos that UConn did with like the Polaroid pictures and everything else too to throw it back. Very cool and very well done. So I just wanted to confirm, I looked it up and I did put these uniforms as number one. I think I'm still very proud of that decision. <laughs> They're so clear cut. Now from here, I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying that UConn should keep these every single game. These should be their new home uniforms. And I don't know if I have a fully formed opinion yet because I like the concept that they've done with the black uniforms in that you wear them for all the big games. That's a cool idea, even though I don't personally like the black uniforms. I think it's a little tougher to do it with these ones just because they're white. So it's a little harder to tell an opposing team, especially if you're going to Tennessee or something. Hey, 
we are going to wear white uniforms. They're going to laugh in your face and then you're not going to be able to wear what you want. So I think it's a little tougher in that regard. I don't know if I want them to be every single game because they are so good that it almost feels like you need to reserve them for special occasions. So what I was thinking is maybe you just go back to your regular sets because I do really like their current uniforms. Mm -hmm. I think they have a really solid set right now. Maybe you break them out for either the entire postseason or maybe the biggies tournament and then the sweet 16 on maybe just the sweet 16 on or maybe you just roll with these as once every couple games or like your sunday uniform because you play pretty much every single sunday at home the rest of the year i think it definitely needs to maintain its presence and be used a handful of times every year but i don't actually know if i'm on board with making them the primary home jerseys yeah, I don't think I like that either. I think it takes away from like the novelty of the fact that they're throwback jerseys if you just start wearing them every game at home. And like you said, I like their current uniforms, so I don't think just like throw them away. I agree that it has to be something else. Like maybe it's the postseason, maybe it's certain games that you have at home every year, like something, I mean, like you can't wear it on the road to Tennessee, but something like when a rivalry game is being played at home, you break them out, things like that. Um, I like the black jersey concept, but I feel like they've lost too many times in those black jerseys now. It's like there's some bad mojo going on with those. They need to find a new replacement for that. Right. And I think actually the funniest part about those black jerseys is they won most of their games when they started. Yeah. But it has flipped very quickly. Yeah, it was off the top of my head. It was the Kristen Williams game, her yeah, freshman against year against Notre Dame, Dame right? Yeah. Then I know they wore them against Tennessee this the first time they played again then yeah recently it's been a mess they it's just time for them to go it, they had a nice little run it's been four years now i think it's time to you know bring in some alternates i this is what i think you do you have a home throwback alternate and a road throwback alternate and you mix them up every couple of years because you've got so many good alternate throwbacks that you can use imagine like the 1991 type throwbacks with connecticut across the chest and the very simple design or the rebecca lobo era striped type things it's very hard to describe uniforms on an audio format but just those type of eras or even another early 2000s type thing I think that's what I would like to see because I, I do really like the concept of wearing a different Jersey for big games. Just let's find something different than the black. So maybe it's these at home and something different on the road, or even if it is maybe not black, but a different type of just alternate Jersey. I would just like to see something mix it up a bit because you kind of such great colors, such great logos and a great past to draw on. Mm-hmm. It would just be cool to see. Yeah. I also still want to see red jerseys. I think it would be cool. So no, I've I've <laughs> never been a red jersey fan. And this is coming from someone whose favorite color is red. And especially in high school, but all throughout my life, people have told me that they saw someone walking with red on, uh, went to look to see if it was me, and it was me. So <laughs> I've as someone who really likes red, 
I just can't get behind the concept of a red jersey. I don't know. I just like colors, so I feel like it'd be more exciting than black or navy blue alternates, but whatever. <laughs> I had an idea before the game. What if you went with a light blue that's the color of the husky eyes? Oh, I kind of like that idea. And then my second part of it was then you had like a script Yukon or or a cursive type script Yukon or Connecticut or Huskies, something like that. I think that would look really sick. Yeah, that would be cool. Something just like totally different. I could definitely get behind that. Because I don't, I mean, I guess it's basically me, just my version of the reds, because it's not like it's necessarily a primary school color, but I just like an alternate that isn't a gray version of the home uniform. Yeah. I or once more than anything. <laughs> right. Or the black jersey, a black version of the away uniform. Mm-hmm something different a little bit of a different design i am very glad that the team seems to have stopped wearing grays exclusively at the excel center though they haven't worn them a single time this year yeah not something i'm sad to see they were horrible. no definitely not <laughs> although i'm pretty sure last year it was around this point in the season no it was the end of january when they wore them for the first time and then i think the elite eight and final four they wore those grays so Maybe they might make a comeback. I hope not because the whites are just so much nicer, so much cleaner. The grays don't do anything for me personally. Yeah, agreed. I don't, I'm not sure the gray. Um, also back to the throwback jerseys, Super did have a picture on her Instagram story this morning. That's like a side-by-side of her Nika Mule, basically the same pose screaming with the, the same jersey and the same number. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> I saw that. That was absolutely fantastic. So funny especially when Nika's on the other side of the court, the resemblance, especially when Nika's wearing that Jersey between her and Sue Bird, just similar body type, same color hair, same hairstyle, both point guards playing. I mean, I'm not trying to say that Nika Mule is super, but they just look so similar out there. Like essentially if you were making a movie about Sue Bird, <laughs> And Nika Mule was an actor. She would probably be the perfect person to cast in that role. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't look exactly the same, but there are enough similarities that it would work. Yes. So yeah, that was, that was very cool. And Nika Mule had a very good game. It, It actually, you think about it, the two players that were wearing the, what's the right way to say it? The most high profile numbers from those jerseys being Nika Mule, number 10, Sue Bird, and Aaliyah Edwards, number three, Diana Taurasi. Both of them acquitted themselves very, very well. So they made the number and the jersey and the person that wore that jersey before them very proud with their performances, I would say. Yes, agreed. Also, just before we fully wrap on Tennessee, Avina Westbrook played really well. She deserves a shout out. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we can't wrap this one without talking about Rita Westbrook. Definitely the best she's played in a little while. It's she's kind of been on a downward slump. She didn't shoot the ball great yesterday, but she hit some big shots when UConn needed her to. Kind of just back to doing that, you know, a little bit of whatever UConn needs. She had some rebounds, some assists, steal. Just went out there and really filled in all the gaps, like we kind of got accustomed to her doing last year. Yeah, and I think this is probably the second straight game that we've seen her do that. I, I didn't think she was great against Creighton, but she did, like you said, fill in those cracks, 
definitely took it to another level against Tennessee and also got what might be one of the better quotes of the season out of Aaliyah Edwards. So first up is Avina Westbrook really sidestepping a question with a lot of words about playing Tennessee, followed by Aaliyah Edwards' statement. Avina, a big game against your former team, and AP said you have a chance to be a part of a piece that rivalry, like, you know, fuel to the fire. How much was that on your mind today? Um, to be honest, zero percent. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of just really over um, just not not hearing that, but, like, that, oh, like, it's Avina versus Tennessee, because it's, it's never been that. Um, and I'm just, I'm glad, you know, my team has been playing the way that we have been. Um, we all played great tonight, and it was it was about us. At the end of the day, it was about all of us. And um, my team did what, what we needed to do, and we got the W. It was nice to rub it in a little bit, though. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. Easily oh. one of the best quotes of the year. Yeah. And also just only Edwards, I don't think it's ever the player in his mouth I would have expected <laughs> yeah, that to come out of, but it, which makes it even better. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was just so casual the way she just not even like all the way, but just kind of leaned forward and just had this mischievous look on her face. <laughs> it felt good to rub it in, though. <laughs> it was perfect. And then another funny moment from the press conference was the players being asked what they thought of the uniforms and AZ FUD could not have tried to grab the microphone faster because they only had two mics and it was in front of Avina. AZ grabbed the microphone and immediately went, I love them. I love them. And they all agreed. They all really liked them. But the way AZ so quickly went after <laughs> the microphone to say that, I thought was quite funny. Yes, also hilarious. <laughs> that and then, you know, talking about how they're going to be a seven seed in Spokane. Also <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Gino's Gino's definitely seemed to change his demeanor recently. There's definitely been a shift with players coming back. It's no longer been doom and gloom. It started to be more self-deprecating humor, which wasn't there when things were going poorly. So that's how you know he's feeling a little bit better about how things are currently panning out. Yeah, exactly. He definitely had a much more positive outlook on where this team was going after that went over Tennessee. So as we talked about earlier, UConn plays Villanova at the XL Center on Wednesday, and then they host DePaul at Gamble Pavilion on Friday. This is going to be an interesting matchup because we still don't know whether or not Caroline's going to be back. It seems like she's at least trending in that direction. If all goes well, UConn's going to have the exact same players available for this game as they had at DePaul a couple weeks ago when Caroline needed to hit a game winner to give UConn the win. But I'm not sure if it's fair to expect the same matchup to be as close just because I think UConn's taken some steps forward and in theory, they should be better prepared for how to handle the challenge of Morrow because I think that's a tough thing to practice against and to you can watch as much film as you want, but until you're getting elbowed by her in the paint and she's running through you to get a rebound, I don't think you can totally be prepared now that they have one game under her against her under their belt. I feel like they're going to do a better job against her. I don't think that means they're going to necessarily shut her out, but she probably won't drop 30 points again. Yeah. I, I mean, think. I don't think any team in the country is shutting out 
I need some more. Like even South Carolina, I don't think is shutting her down. So I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I agree. I don't think she's dropping 30 points. I think a big thing in this game too is going to be, can they get the Aaliyah Edwards that they got against Tennessee against DePaul? Because I think that could be a, a big difference maker in that battle because, you know, like we've said, Olivia Nelson-Dota, she's great defensively, but it's a different skill set and she's not as physical where Aaliyah Edwards is that really physical player. And I think that could be a really good matchup if they can get kind of that level of play at Edwards again. Right. I definitely feel like she is the key there because as we've kind of seen with Liv in the past, it's a little unfair to put expectations on her to go pound for pound with someone like Aaliyah Edwards or even Morrow. That's what Aaliyah Edwards is there for. That's mm-hmm. her skill set. That's her strength. If she can handle that, then that makes it a lot easier for Dorka or Liv to double her, to at least disrupt her a little bit more. So there's definitely a way that UConn can approach this that's different. But just in general with Moro this season and in the future, she's going to be such a great test for UConn teams because in the past it's been the bigs can pretty much just dominate conference play, whether it was Big East or American. They can't do that against Morrow. She's not Aaliyah Boston, but she has the physicality and the strength that makes Aaliyah Boston in part, not fully, but in part tough to defend. So having to play her twice and already having seen Aaliyah Boston, that can only help this team if they end up playing South Carolina again. And they'll probably play DePaul again this season, I would have to imagine. I think they're going to play in the Big East Tournament Final. I think so too, though. I think DePaul has dropped a couple games in the Big East at this point so who knows who they'll play in the final I feel like the only surefire thing is that UConn will be in the final of that tournament but yeah it gives them a tough test in the Big East for their front court players which is not something we could have said in years past and I think that's really important because not just South Carolina but a lot of the teams that they're going to face when they get late into March are going to have a pretty solid post player so having something like that in conference play and kind of measuring up against that is going to be a important for this team. So her hoop stats predicts UConn to win by 15 points, gives them an 86.3% chance to win, which is a higher percentage chance than they gave UConn to win against Creighton. That was a 68.4% win probability. And then Tennessee this past Sunday was 78.2. That still feels a little high for me personally, though, because then Marquette, the game after is 79.8, a 15 point game even though you only beat them by two on the road, I still think UConn wins. I just don't think it's going to be that big of a gap and it's going to be that comfortable of a victory. I still think it's going to be a close-ish game. Yeah, I kind of agree. I expect it to be the closest game. I think there's something we said for that. It's the second matchup and that it's at home and that makes an adjustment. I think that's why the percentage is probably higher than it was at Creighton because they were on the road at Creighton. Um, but it does feel a little high. I mean, the percentage for Tennessee gave you kind of a 70 something percent chance of winning though. Granted the, the hoops that's model is definitely lower than the, the AP poll is on Tennessee, but still I think 15 points feels large. Well, her hoop stats actually underestimated what yeah. the <laughs> game would be. They had UConn winning 69.6 to 60.6, and UConn won 75 to 56. I don't know. It, it's just always something that I enjoy looking at, though, because where else are there 
predictions and numbers <laughs> and probabilities for a women's basketball game that you can get. I, as far as I know, there are no betting lines for women's college basketball, at least not yet. Maybe there is for the NCAA tournament or conference tournaments, but for a Wednesday night game against Villanova, I don't think you can find it anywhere. Yeah, I don't, that's, I have no idea, but I don't think so either. So yeah, it really is the only place to look for it. So it's, it's not perfect, but it's definitely a number to look at at least. So I'm going to take the under on 15.7 points. I'm assuming you will too. Yeah, I think so. It's so hard with DePaul just because like so much of like they do have more and you know, you're going to get some from her, but so much of it is also depends on like how will they shoot the three that day. And I think that plays into a lot of like how big that margin will be. But I I think I would probably take the under. Right. And also UConn has a propensity for sometimes just beating the absolute crap out of DePaul on (laughs) a really random night. Like there doesn't even have to be any rhyme or reason to it. So I think I would be less surprised if it was like a 30 or 35 point game than I would be if it was only like a 15 point game. (laughs) Because usually when it's bad for DePaul, it's really bad. I don't think they're just going to be kind of hanging around a little bit. It'll probably either be hefty or close. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like that's kind of how things go with DePaul, just because they rely so much on the three-point shot, there tends to be a lot more variability. So I think I would go under 15.7, but over 25.7. I don't know if I'm allowed to pick both. I don't (laughs) think it'll be between 15 and 25 points. You had to do your bets a little bit. <laughs> it kind of works. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, mean, like, I don't know. It'd be yes. interesting. I mean, DePaul did lose to Creighton last week. Oh, you never know what's going to happen. They have lost to Marquette, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, UConn for 17 minutes looked like they were going to lose to Creighton. So that, I don't know. If that's yeah, I think Creighton's a, a good team. Like, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad loss at all. I think Creighton's a good team, but it's just interesting. It's not like, like they're losing to Butler. Yeah. That would be concerning. I don't think that's going to happen, though. <laughs> I think they could just, like, stand more on one spot in the court and still beat Butler. Yeah, I think Butler would probably quit by the second quarter <laughs> against Morrow. <laughs> like, if, if you've won one game all year and you got to face that, no. <laughs> yeah. check out. Check out. <laughs> On that note, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the show on the new feed. If you're on the UConn blog feed, subscribe there too, but be sure to subscribe to the new Chasing Perfection feed. Again, the link to that is in the description. Sign up for the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Become a premium member if you want. Read the UConn blog. Megan, what do you got to close us out? Hopefully the, the Tennessee game is a turning point for this team and they've got some good vibes coming their way and they're done the, the stretch of injuries and illnesses and missed games and everything else. Yes, the vibes certainly seem to be better. We'll <laughs> see if they stay. That'll do it from us. Thanks for listening.